Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is time for this week's episode of the Terry's Talking Podcast. Joining me, as he does every week, is Mr. Terry Pluto, awarding, award-winning columnist from Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. And I am David Campbell, your stumbling host, who can barely get the introduction out this week. Uh, how's it going, Terry? Happy Thanksgiving post-weekend to you. This shows the introduction's too long. That's right. It needs to be shorter. It needs so. to be shorter. <laughs> hey, uh, we got a lot to get through today. I we'll start with the Browns. We'll talk about whether they're running the ball too much. I want to ask you if you think the guardians pitching staff overall, not just the starters is better or worse than it was a couple of weeks ago. The Cavs uh, are playing in in tournament game, a sit in season tournament game tonight against Atlanta. And we have two more responses for a hundredth episode. A couple months ago, we asked listeners to write in about where they're living and why they're Cleveland fans. We have a few more really good responses. We heard one from Slovenia last week, Terry. Those have been really fun. But first, let's talk about your book real quick, The Guy with the Sign and Other Thoughts on Faith in Everyday Life. Great Christmas present. And you have a, a signing coming up this week, I think, on Thursday night, right? Yes, Thursday night at the Learned Owl Bookshop in Hudson from 6 to 7. So that's the Learned Owl Bookshop in Hudson. Thursday night, 6 to 7, they'll have the, the New Faith book, The Guy with the Sign, plus um, a bunch of my other books that will be available. And if you want to get a signed copy sent to your door of Learn of uh, the Guy with the Sign, uh, just go to terryplutobook.com, all one word, terryplutobook.com. So we have that was done very professionally and quickly. All right, there we go. Now we will move on. Now we now, now we go. Now we'll move people, on. You know why people are actually might be listening. So there we go. <laughs> All right, Terry. The Browns are seven and four after Sunday's loss in Denver, and it, it, it there's a fine line between creativity and ineptitude, depending on whether you win or lose. You probably get the emails from fans if the Browns win. It, it's wasn't Kevin Stefanski creative? Yeah. And if the Browns lose, it's like why was Kevin Stefanski being so fancy? Why didn't he run the ball? And I know you've been writing after the game, and I want to spend a few minutes on this about did Kevin Stefanski throw the ball too much against the Denver Broncos? And why don't you start because you, you've written about this and you had some good stats to back up kind of what your point was about they should have run the ball more against the league's worst rushing defense. So take it away. Uh, you know, a lot depends on who your who your quarterback is and what the score is when it comes to uh, running the ball 
versus uh, passing. And your quarterback is a rookie. And your score, even at the end of the third quarter when uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson was hurt, was 17-12. to 12. So that puts you in a situation where you have an opportunity to play it however you want. It isn't like you're down by uh, a couple of touchdowns and you better throw it. Uh, while DTR was in the game, he threw it 29 times. The running backs carried it um, 15 times. And actually, they averaged almost six yards a carry in, the, in those carries. So uh, Kareem Hunt and Jerome Ford were making progress on the ground. And the one thing you also like to do, besides taking pressure off your quarterback when you're running it well, is uh, you take some pressure off your offensive line because they're, they much prefer to block for runs than passing. And finally, let your defense get some rest. And whereas when you're throwing that many passes, uh, it just seems to me it's, it's just a lot. So I, I was kind of thinking that they didn't pass it too much when I first was watching the game. I thought maybe a little bit. And then I started to hear all the outrage from fans mm-hmm. about run the ball. So I went back and I was watching the first half today, Terry. I didn't learn a lot. I got to be honest. Okay. But I, what, one thing I did come across when I was done was like, I don't think it was as bad as people made it out to be. And here's why I'll say that. Jerome Ford, he had, what, nine carries yeah. for 65 yards. He also had seven targets, right? Okay. And you know, when you're throwing the ball to Jerome Ford, you're not throwing it up 40 yards up the field to him. So I'm counting those. Those seven targets are basically runs disguised as passes. So I'm going to count that as kind of runs. That was 16 touches for him. Kareem Hunt had seven carries, and he had no targets. So between those two, it's it's 23 touches for the running backs. Not ideal. They probably should have up close to 30, right? But, like, still not as bad as I thought people made it out to be. And, and you know, there, there were th- when you're playing as sloppily as the Browns did and you get behind, you have to throw the ball. I mean, they had a third and one in the first quarter. Uh, against a nine-man box, and and Posich had the false start where he snapped the ball. Remember, he moved it, and they called him. And So now it's third and six. Okay, so are you going to run on third and six? No, you're not going to run on third and six probably from midfield because you need to get the first down to keep the drive going. And if they ran it and got two yards, people would be like, why wasn't Stefanski throwing the ball in that situation? Throw it to Amari Cooper and Najoku, get the first down. So, like, there were things that were going on. The, the, The botched reverse like you can't run a running play after that kind of thing happens. The the stupid penalties, like you know that they had, um, the the false starts in key situations. Like well, it was just had, so sloppy. They really yeah. didn't let themselves run the ball. Keep going, but just to to put the penalties in context, they had six pre snap penalties, and that's pre snap meaning they had three of them where they lined up in the neutral zone. I I don't understand this, David. You put your hand down, you look where the ball is, and you make sure your hand is not where the ball is. You know, there's a line, and they keep doing that. And they also had, you know, the false starts and the jumping off sides, uh, which at least false starts jumping off sides, uh, it kind of comes when you think the action is starting. Just getting lined up wrong is beyond me. Alex Wright did it twice. Uh, so... Those are things that, of course, I don't want to see them run it on third and six at midfield. Um, I guess the, you know, the, the case you're making was that DTR doesn't throw deep that much anyway, so they're kind of like runs. Um, 
to the running okay. backs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing I was going to say is just when you're out there, Terry, and you're in, you're lining up, get ready to snap the ball, and you see a seven-man front, and then you see the safety come rolling up before the yeah. snap to make it an eight-man front, and you've got 10 seconds or 15 seconds on the play clock, like usually you want to change out of a run at that point. I, like, I, guess I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, just kind of going by what I know about football. But, but, go then, ahead. but then why were they as successful running the ball? Why did they have the stats that were good run they did run the ball? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I think Ford had a 19-yarder, which got the average up a little bit. Um, but, but anyway, not, before I forget, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's a point. It's point taken. I just, I agree with what people are saying. I just don't think it was out, as outrageous as people were putting it to be. So that's kind of where I'm at with it after watching it. Um, real quick, before I forget, Terry, I, I charted the boxes in the first half just because mm-hmm. I was curious. They faced yeah. a five-man box six times, okay. a six-man box six times. A seven-man box twelve times, which is pretty standard. An eight-man box seven times. A nine-man box three times, and a ten-man box three times. Those are like in short-yarded situations. So it wasn't like that. Denver was coming out on an eight-man front and rolling nine. You know, like, but but it's hard to quantify a box when you see the safeties creeping up and you're not playing quarterback, so I don't really know. So anyway, I guess that's my official stance. Is I think they could have run the ball more. I don't think it was as egregious as people made it out to be. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> And, and that's fine. Just in general, I think Kevin just gets lulled into wanting to throw the ball because it's more fun. I, I, I don't mean as a play caller. I'm very serious. No, you, I, I get you what more you're saying. Room, more room for creativity. Um, I mean, otherwise, why are you calling the infamous reverse with um, P.J. Walker in the game? It's the second uh, – it's the second um, – play of the game for him after it came in for DTR. And on top of that, Pierre Strong was part of that. He hardly played at all. It was, to me, it's like, geez. Well, this goes to a larger point, Terry. Like, if you thought that the Browns were going to be losing these games without Deshaun Watson, you would think it would be because of the quarterback player, like P.J. Walker mm-hmm. throwing a bunch of... This has been totally on the skill players. This yeah. inefficiency... You've got Harrison Bryant fumbling snaps on, on these quarterback sneaks. I mean, Pierre Strong, I, I get it. Like Jimmy Watkins, our colleague, wrote a column, and, and he didn't like the reverse either. He wrote a whole column about it. You didn't like it. But, I mean, Terry, come on. Like, these guys are professional football players. I can see a nine-year-old peewee team running a reverse and a kid catching a, a, that pitch right in the hands and taking it around the end for 20 yards. And Pierre Strong has run that play probably hundreds of times in his lifetime. And the pitch was right there. And he's got to catch it, just like all these guys. I mean, these drops are ridiculous. I mean, you watch the highlights every week, Terry. Guys around the NFL catching balls with one hand and jumping out of bounds to make catches. The Browns aren't even getting catches on, like, normally thrown passes that are that are right in the hands. It's like what in baseball they have plus minus and even if somebody's got skills, the Browns are like minus right now. They're not even even for for catching these things. Yeah, it's crazy. Joku, you know, Joku's in a real rut. Uh, th- he he's like a guy you, for your baseball analogy that um, is an old one. Like Steve Sachs when he played second base, suddenly couldn't throw it to first, or some catchers who could make a decent throw down to second base. Um, you could see him like trying to look at the ball into his hands and he's just he's become very very robotic 
on these balls right to him. And of course, in true Njoku fashion, he made a couple of spectacular catches <laughs> where maybe that's the only thing you don't have time to think, just run up, jump up and grab it. Uh, so that's been a problem. But I mean, and to your point, one of the biggest plays of that game, I thought Amari Cooper dropping the two-point pass in the end zone. Oh, no doubt. And, you know, I, we all love Amari. He's, to me, he's like one one notch right below uh, Nick Chubb in terms of you, this is who you want the Browns to be like. You know, doesn't say a word, plays hard all the time, about all the right stuff, could count on him. And that's why it was just shocking to me. I mean, maybe the pass is a little low and behind him, but so what? Um, he catches it. We're going to see. I think right now, by the way, you said one thing I do disagree with. You said, well, when they run a kind of creative play and they win, and fans credit Stefanski. Most of my fans are, I mean, never credit Stefanski for anything. <laughs> when they win, no. it's, it's in spite of him. And when they lose, it's because of him. And that's as far as the argument goes. Uh, now, we've ignored a very big problem. 160-some yards that the defense gave up on the ground. And we have seen that in different games where um, those trap plays or just these different things up the middle, you know, go for 20, 30 yards against the Browns. And I'm not good enough to know, did you notice any of that when you were looking at the film? What, what's going on with those? Yeah, I like I think the first Ravens game, the Browns were flying up the field and getting trapped. And yeah. I didn't notice as much of that in this game. I think the, the Broncos seem to be running a lot of double teams at the point of attack and then sending a third guy through to pick off the linebacker. I don't think Taki Taki had a great game as great yeah. as JOK played. Um, I think Taki Taki was it was not one of his better efforts. And if you're not in, you know, if you're not in the hole making the tackle, it's eight yards at least. And there were a few of those, but I didn't see the same amount of tripping. I just think it was double teams at the point of attack and guys not getting off blocks. I don't know. What, what, what did you see or did you not have yeah, a theory? Probably the tackles didn't play that well either um, in terms of occupying blockers and that stuff. Uh, I, I'm not good on that stuff, David. I just am not. I, I, you know, of the three sports, the one that I understand the least as my readers, of course, will remind me, is football. And um, and that's just, such a when it comes to line play and that stuff. But I remember even in the Colts game, in, when I was in Indianapolis, seeing them bust those plays seemingly right up the middle or certainly towards the center of the line for big yardage. Um, maybe that is the one thing you give up when you play that wide nine and everything else. You create a lot of holes there, and uh, you can get beat on those. So, yeah, and Miles Garrett was playing on one and a half shoulders yeah. for a good part of that game, which which didn't help. And um, yeah, and anyway, you I want to tell. Go... By the way, they went right at Newsom too in that game. They Definitely. missed Denzel Ward, and so, but all that here you go into the fourth quarter, seventeen to twelve. Yeah, they were there. They were there. I, I did want to throw this drop stat out real quick, Terry. Okay. Pro Football Focus credited Brown. Credited is kind of an awkward word, but they they yeah, three, credited the Browns did. receivers with only three drops. I don't yeah. know if that included the Amari Cooper one. And no, thirteen percent, thirteen percent of them were on on target throws. Mm. DTR now leads the NFL with a twelve point one percent drop rate from his receivers. <laughs> and, and Browns receivers have dropped nine point five percent of all Browns quarterback passes that were on target. So, yeah, that's what. 
that's what we're looking at. I mean, it's hard. You'd think again that the, the rookie quarterback making his first road start, you know, he has a, he's not on target all the time. There's a lot of throws that are behind. You can see the difference between a Deshaun Watson and DTR in terms of accuracy, pace on the ball, decision making. But like the throws that are there, you got to catch them. It's called mm-hmm. yards after the catch. And the you see these Browns receivers looking up the field before the ball's secured. And they're, they're going to fix that. I guarantee when they go out against the Rams, Stefanski and the coaches are like, catch the ball, catch the ball, and then do something with it. And I think I think you'll see some of that cleaned up this week. At least Browns fans have to hope. So. And your quarterback will be? I think it's going to have to be Joe Flacco, right? Yeah. I don't want to see P.J. Um, how do you feel? Because we, we did have a little bit of a brief conversation before we came on about when a guy has a concussion like a DTR, how do you feel about him playing the following week? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a neurologist, and these guys, when they get a concussion, they're in the hands of professionals who know what they're doing, and there's baseline testing where they have to match the baseline testing from before the season. So, like, it's up to those doctors to decide. I just it, – it, a concussion is a major event to your brain, and just in general, like, I would not have somebody come back in one week. It really makes me cringe when I see guys do that in any sport. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think it's too soon. I think the brain needs time to recover. You need to sit in a dark room and, and let it heal and, and then come back. It seems like two weeks is kind of the minimum, but like, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. And on top of the fact that, you know, it, um, he had the bloody lip and bloody mouth. So he, clearly his shin was driven into a skull. I mean, if you really want to know what happened, that's what happened. I looked at that and whether you think, some fans, well, that's just football or what, or that was a cheap shot. Either way, his chin was driven into a skull and he got a bloody mouth and he got a concussion. Uh, that's serious business. And so it probably, you know, should rest him to make sure. I have no idea what to expect of Flacco. I really don't. I just want to play him because he's not PJ Walker. I'm at that point. I think a lot of Browns fans would agree with you, yeah. Terry. But um, I think we should we should really keep the expectations down. Uh, since Joe left Baltimore, his record as a starter is three and fourteen. You know, last year, of course, he sees Cleveland and he lit it up as he always did. He was seventeen and three with Baltimore against Cleveland, and then he had the, led the Jets on that big comeback. He threw four TD passes in that game. He started a couple other games that year. He only threw one TD pass. Um, so that's it. And then, now, by the way, just this is another thing along those lines. I wrote a column and it's posted now about uh, Joshua Dobbs, who, you know, some of us were turning in, turning into this, you know, really legit NFL starting quarterback. He now leads the NFL in turnovers, and it, it catches you. If you know, there's a, the old thing: backups are backups for a reason, and he has 10 interceptions. He's lost lost eight fumbles. And that's why Minnesota now is looking towards, you know, another direction. Now, it's nice to have Dobbs because I think he's prepared for everything. He'll go in there. He'll bring a spark. Uh, the players like him. He's a really good backup. But you get exposed. Uh, and that's – they can't find 15 or 20 starters in the league, much less 32. So the fact you're trying to find a backup that could last more in a couple of games, that's really a hard search. That's, by the way, I haven't brought him out of the barn in about a year. Case Keenum was a really <laughs> good backup. 
Because when he could come in and play, and, you know, he would get periodically. He had one big year starting. In fact, for Stefanski, I think he was 11-3 and three as a starter. But most of the other time, he was 500 or below. Now, granted, there's some other factors that goes into your record. But he would be really good for a few games. He really – and he could just come in. And I do hope next year um, the Browns add a veteran, even if they like DTR. Uh, just a guy that they is with them from the beginning and could help them in case of you have these calamities. Because um, I might have basically undercounted how many different quarterbacks have started this year. I had 50. I said would, uh, Flacco would be the 50th. But I, someone else told me they're like on 51 or 52. Regardless, uh, it's a lot. Last year, 66 different players started at quarterback. Your thoughts on this around one, the whole NFL, around yeah. the whole NFL, huh? Man, that's, that's a big still number. Still a lot, man. You yeah. Know? Now let me ask you this: They're protecting quarterbacks more than ever, aren't they? Yeah, all these rules, right? Okay. So what's happening? There's extra games. There's I I, I don't know. I'm seeing guys hitting fingers on helmets. There's just a lot of stuff that can happen. Mm-hmm. When you're out there and these quarterbacks, they like to hold on to the ball as long as they can so they can make a big play and they're getting hit a lot, even though they're not getting landed on as much anymore and stuff like that. So that's I don't good, know. The second point is very valid. You know, the first one, yeah, they get hurt. Second one, yeah, they're trying to hold on to the ball to get them open. Here's my other theory. Because you can't even find 32 starters, you can't find the backup. So when your starter gets hurt, you're now in backup territory. You watch this guy stumble around, and it's like uh, right now Minnesota's leaning towards benching Dobbs and playing Nick Mullins. So then you get into, boy, we can't watch Josh Dobbs or whoever your backup is anymore. Or like in Cleveland, we can't watch P.J. Walker anymore. Then you go to the next guy. So losing your starter then creates this whole thing of your house of cards falls apart because you're going through a lot of mediocrity or worse, trying to find a second or third quarterback. And also, Terry, there's a lot of teams where coaches and GMs are on the hot seat. They're, they've been there for a yeah. while. Things aren't working out. They're, they've got to try something. You know, you look at New York or the Jets after losing Aaron Rodgers, they, they're just, it's like, it's like a musical chairs every week. It's, it's, that's just the nature of what it is these days because, like you said, there's only 20, 15 or 20 guys who are worthy starters. If number 22 ain't working out, you're switching halfway through the season. So, And my man, other thought good. is this, that teams try to save money sometimes, and by that I mean cap money, in the wrong place. I would always be having a veteran quarterback that, you know, was worth the cash. That was what was odd about the Browns, not just with Josh Dobbs. Andrew Berry's first three years here, he had Case Keenum, one of the highest paid backups on the roster the first two years. And then um, they you know, they paid Brissett, one of the, made him one of the higher paid backups also. Then this year, you know, they came in, DTR won the job out of uh, training camp. And and part of the thing is, ah, oh, we could save $2 million on the cap on Josh Dobbs and add a fifth-round pick. Well, why not? And, of course, Watson then gets hurt. You know, they were counting on the fact that until this year, uh, Watson had been very durable. But we may also see now, 
you know, think about this when Watson plays next year. He will have played, I think, only 12 games out of a possible 51. Because he missed 17 back in 2021. And then he missed 11 in 2022. And I forgot what he's played this year, six or whatever it is. So um, he has not played much football. And there'll be all the questions again about rust and all yeah, this other stuff. Yeah, here we go. It, it really yeah. is this awful treadmill. Oof. All right, Terry, we should yeah. uh, do the weekly kicker update. Terry's oh, good? weekly kicker update. That's some good news. Do you want me to run through his stats? Or yeah, do you run have through the now? numbers. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Uh, Dustin Hopkins, as of this week, is 28 of 31 on field goals. He's got a long of 58, and that's he's hitting 90.3% of his field goals. Which is, man, that seems to be the standard of great kickers anymore is 90%. 15 of 16 on extra points, and he is still 7 of 7 from 50 yards or longer. So they continue Only to get Only the receivers were catching 90% of their passes. Be a whole different story. So, By the way, um, did you see uh, Cade York got cut again? I forgot where he was. Um, oh. New, yeah, New York or somewhere. Uh, but he got let go. All right. Anything else you want to get into with the Browns before we take a break here? Is there... No, I, th- I I think that's enough. I'm, I'll be curious to see how they play this week because they've done a good job after demoralizing losses of coming back and playing well. They have, and it's funny. When I've been watching the Browns this season, I've been thinking of the Steelers a lot, and the Steelers, you know, have Duck, whatever his name uh-huh. was, starting a quarterback. Yeah, Duck they Hodges. Always, Duck Hodges, yeah. They always have different guys rolling into quarterback. But the thing, they're always in it to the end because they have good offensive lines and good defensive lines. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the Browns are there. Like, you know, they're missing their tackles on offense, but, like, Every week, those two lines are going to go out and, and try and set the tempo for the game. And I think the Browns are going to be in it until the end. Uh, they should be able to beat the Jets and the Bears, and that'll give them nine wins. And then if they pick up another one or two, they'll be in the playoffs. So it'll be, be fun last month. A, and they'll have a parade for Joe Flacco. <laughs> right down uh, Superior, right downtown. Yeah. Secret tape parade when they win the whole thing. So. All right, Terry, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about the Cavs and – Are you wanting Donovan Mitchell to keep shooting or back off a little bit? And then the Guardians, I want to ask you, Terry, do you think the Guardians pitching staff is better or worse than it was a couple of weeks ago with the moves they've made? So we'll be right back. Uh, Terry's talking. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. We're going to get into some Cavaliers here. Cavs are 9-8. and eight. They're heading into a Tuesday night matchup here against Atlanta at 7.30. They need to win that one for this in-season tournament and get a lot of help. They're probably not going to make the elimination part of it because a lot of things I'm have to happen. Point differential. I am just <laughs> heartbroken. I mean, first of all, my wife, Roberta, loves basketball, and we were watching, and we were watching one of those tournament you know, games with the funny thing on the court and that. She goes, how does this work? And I just said, I'm not going to even try to explain it. (laughs) 
And then she asked even a far more relevant thing. What's the point? I said, that nobody can explain. The point is to get people talking about NBA in November and December, I guess, because usually nobody cares until January. So is that working? I don't know that it's working. I don't no. know that it is. I don't no. think so. But I don't think so. Yeah. But anyway, right. Terry. All right, um, go ahead. <laughs> so if the Cavs don't make it, they'll be playing t- a couple of to-be-named opponents next week, and those will be regular season games, and I guess we'll see how it all works out. But the kind of the storyline of the week, Terry, is Donovan Mitchell was dealing with that hamstring injury. He was out, I think, starting on the – he played on the game on the 15th of November and then has been out since uh, Saturday against the Lakers. And he hasn't really been shooting the ball all that well since he came back. Four of 18 against the Lakers on Saturday night. Came back on Sunday, four for 17 against the Raptors. He played 34 minutes and, uh, you know, 34, 35 minutes both nights. But if you're J.B. Bickerstaff, Terry, what would you be telling Donovan Mitchell going into tonight's game? I'd want to know how his hamstring really is. And here's why. Uh, You gave me some numbers right before we came on. Okay, so against the uh, Lakers, what was he from the field? Four of 18 in, thir- in 35 minutes, 22 okay. points. And then so he was two of six, you said, on threes. So then that means he was two of 12 on two-pointers. This is for a guy that usually shoots around 50% on those. And then we go to the next game, and he was 0 of 5 on threes, and that makes him still four of 13 on twos. Okay, what am I saying here? He's not finishing at the rim. That's where, He does take some mid-range shots, but his he has some floaters and good drives and that. And I think just watching him, he doesn't have that same burst and that same leaping ability. Um, and I've had a couple of my friends who are really basketball fans too say the same thing. It's like, he just doesn't look, he doesn't look the same. And that's probably the bottom line on it. So I would really, whether you're shooting enough or too much or whatever, uh, how's the hamstring? Because we need to get that right. And you know how those things can really linger for quite a while. And plus, Terry, it takes a while to trust it coming back, yep. right? Like mm-hmm. you go to jump or you go to lunge for a, a loose ball or something, and you're like, oh, all right, is it okay? There's kind of a second a, a double take you do where you're wanting to make sure you're not pulling it again. So I'm sure that's part of what he's going through. But you would you just tell him to go out and play his game, and yeah. you wouldn't tell him to change anything, right? No, because if he were taking an excessive amount of threes, you would tell him that the thing with Mitchell always was if you're taking too many threes, go to the rim. But I'm not sure. I mean, he's 2 of 11 on threes. That's not the answer either right now. I, I just would want him to play his game, but I would want to really have a talk with him and even look at deeply into the tapes and see – uh, what does it look like? How is he moving? Um, because right now, uh, the idea is, you know, not just to have him ready for the playoffs, but have him ready for for bigger games. They won some games without him. I still think that there is, it has nothing to do with their personalities, but their styles. He and Garland still are not, I think, meshing all of that well. A lot of times they're sort of taking turns. You know, Mitchell has the ball and Garland goes and stands in the corner. You know, you could call that figuratively or literally. And then the other way around, because they won some games with, because uh, both of those guys are ball dominant players. And by the way, I want to see more at Kevin Porter Jr. Holy cow. This guy looks like this is a summer league to him. No problem. Yeah, he looks like a 10 year vet out there the way yeah. he's 
running around and doing all the right things, right? The little things. I've just seen him maybe force a couple shots, and that's it. And, you know, he can defend. He can rebound. Uh, He'll block a few shots. He's strong going to the rim. And uh, he seems to fit within the context of whoever else he's out there with. Uh, That's exciting to find a player like that. Uh, basically an, an NBA rummage sale, which is what the undrafted free agents are, because they have not had a good backup point guard since Rubio's first year here. Because remember last year, Rubio was hurt. Then when he came back, he just wasn't the same. And they went through some other guys, and uh, they were just okay or worse. Uh, this Ty Jerome, I did not like what I saw for him early in the year before he got hurt. So this is really exciting. Uh, to me, to see that player play that way in the in big games. I mean, there was a he made this play in a key part against Philadelphia. He went right into Embiid and, and kind of bumped off him, made a bank layup, uh, and it was that's exciting. Yeah, the, one other cool thing, Terry, is like he's they're giving him exactly what they saw of mm-hmm. him at Wichita State. Like a lot of guys come into the league and they have to change their game because of who they're playing with. Yeah. You know, go stand in the corner and wait for a three to come open or, you know, don't don't drive the lane. But he's been able to just kind of do what he did in college and just do the same thing because that's what the Cavs needed. Like yeah. those minutes. Yeah, he's a basketball player. That's the whole thing. He's a guard. I mean, Wayne Emery used to say that he's not a point guard. He's not really a shooting guard. He's just a good guard. And I'm not thinking to turn it that, but like Joe Dumars was that type of player. He could play shooting guard. He could play point guard. Um, and that's what Porter has. Uh, it, and he just, you could tell he's played a lot of basketball. You know, he played a couple of years, I believe it was at Vincennes, one of the top Juco programs. And then at Wichita State where uh, he was carrying the load at all those places. And it, so that's, that's really encouraging. Garland's been, been up and down. Uh, Jared Allen, for those who hate him, and I do get those emails now and then. Okay, he played bad in the playoffs. But this guy's a good player. He's shooting what from the field? 67%. It's like, Jarrett, shoot it more. And we've had that discussion before. The other thing, too, is when they beat Philadelphia and they beat Denver, you know, Allen was a key part of that because he took on uh, the Joker and he took on Embiid. And the other thing that he is as good in anybody as anybody in the league, and I will argue he's even better at Mobley than this, and Mobley's very good too. Jumping out on the pick and rolls to take that guard. I think the pick and roll, he can he can switch so quickly and he's so long. You know, Mobley is still it's funny things like the other day I was watching Mobley, you know, well, he didn't you know, he was just okay. And I I think he had like sixteen points, ten rebounds, and like four assists. I'm like, okay, you know, maybe we're just judging him too high right now, instead of looking at the overall context of his game. But what I've liked is Mobley and uh, Evan, Evan Mobley and Jarrett getting these high lobs to each other. It's like they're playing over and above the opposition. And I remember the first year when they had market and they had the big three up front, there was a lot of time you saw games like that where they were literally throwing the ball over the other team all over the place. Uh, that still works because the NBA has gotten smaller. 
Yeah, it's a great point, Terry. Yeah, I wanted to pull the, the lens back a little bit. I know you said last week you got a letter about somebody wanting to fire JB in the middle of November. A friend of mine said that. <laughs> we're watching it because uh, I didn't go to Denver, and um, and I won't be going to L.A. Uh, it's a long story. I'm on, I'm on the short injured list here, but I will be fine. But he goes, oh, you know, what about when the, when the Cavs going to fire their coach? I'm like, what? Yeah, so like they haven't really had their whole lineup for maybe mm-hmm. one or two games. Like things are going to be okay, right? The Cavs are going to be fine. Is that is that, you agree with that? I don't want to go in the black hole looking for another coach. How many of these guys you want to run through again? It's hard but even to aside find from them. that, you no, you I'm, feel no, like serious. this team no. is moving in the right direction Not though, because he is a guy who has taken them from twenty two wins to forty four wins to fifty one wins from having zero identity and one of the NBA's worst defense to have an identity of a good to great defense and playing big. And a team with, like, they have, like, no drama off the court. I mean, they, they I'm sure there's always something going on, but it's not that big a deal. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, who – you just don't find these guys in the NBA that could come in and do that, what he is. And he is like all other coaches. They learn as they go along. Um, I, I'm just really – I've been impressed with JB since he took over. You know, there were times that, like, the, the offense could move more, all kinds of stuff like that. By the way, I, I uh, Kobe Altman, the additions of, of Struess – and uh, Niang, I think I really value. Niang's got more in his game than I thought. Uh, you know, have you seen? He kind of gets out there and pushes guys around. He's like one of these heavy set guys that's more athletic than you think. He's smarter than you think, uh, just the way he is and uh, getting position. I think he's annoying when he's defending you because uh, he's talking to you and he's kind of grabbing you and shoving you. I like that. And Struess. My goodness, he is such a good all-around basketball player. I mean, good. he saw this team needed more rebounding, and this guy goes to the boards. Uh, he he never stops running. Uh, defensively, he'll try to take it on anybody. Just give this whole thing time to, to gel together. As you said, the parts have been missing. Uh, but I'm excited by what the roster is like, and I think they got the right coach right now. And so – let it go. I mean, there were times when it seemed like Miami was sort of stuck in playoff land going nowhere with their expulsion after uh, this was after LeBron left. And they just wrote it out with them because I think Pat uh, Riley was looked. I did. All right. I get rid of Eric. What? I'm not going to go coach him. I don't have that. And I don't <laughs> want to go down that road again, you know, looking for somebody else. When I know the guy I got is pretty good with a chance to be better than that, and I don't have a bunch of garbage going on on my team, like the NBA's crazy. I mean, these guys just they they they, they don't want to be traded. They don't show up. They they're told to go in the game. They won't go in the game. They're told to come out of the game. Sometimes they won't come out of the game. It's nuts. You know, you don't want that. Yeah, and I want to see this team. They've got this two week, two game week coming up here. If they don't make the in season elimination, I want to see this team together for a month and let them yeah. play some ball together and see how this thing looks. Because we've seen flashes of some pretty promising things so far. So it's a it's a good team. Yeah, it, it's a good team, and it's still a younger team. It isn't like it's a bunch of thirty some year olds on their last legs, and I. You know, let's see where it goes. And man, oh man, in the NBA, we forget 
because they weren't there that long, how you could get bad and stay bad for so long. I mean, Detroit is still in that. Orlando's finally coming out of it. Uh, Oklahoma City. But, boy, you could get there and just lose and lose and lose and ping pong balls and lottery picks and firing the coach. And we're going to run this year. We're going to defend that year. Changing your philosophy all the time. Uh, you just makes your head want to roll off your shoulders. All right, Terry. Cavs again have that game against Atlanta tonight on Tuesday night at 730. And then they have Portland at home on Thursday at 7 to end that homestand. And then we'll see if they make the next round of the in-season tournament or if they're playing the two games. So, all right, let's talk a little baseball, Terry. We're getting close to December here. And, uh, man, the the winter meetings are coming up on Sunday, I think, in Nashville. Paul Hoynes, our colleague, will be down there covering that for a few days. There's already been some moves um, in, in the hot stove season. Guardians have you know, sent Cal Quantrill out of town, Aniel De Los Santos out of town. They brought in uh, Scott Barlow, which you wrote about the other day, kind of an inside look at that trade, and, and Class A catcher Cody Huff, as you described him earlier. Did, do you like the composition of the Guardians pitching staff as a whole, not just the starters, better than you did a couple weeks ago before these moves. And I know not blowing saves was a huge part of the reason behind this. Yeah. But I mean, you like I, things, you feel better about things? Not particularly from the starting, because I'm still a Quantrill guy. And he did have an ERA under three, I think, his last six starts. But there's something wrong with him. They offered him all-around baseball. His, uh, what's his salary cap number going to be or whatever is, is uh, arbitration? I think it was going to be $6 million, right? I mean, they, they, six throw or six, seven. they throw $6 million at anybody. They just do. And they believe me, the, the Guardians didn't say, you know what we want to do? We want to trade Cal Quantrill for a Class A catcher. That's not what they wanted to do. Uh, now, they were had Scott Barlow kind of on the, uh, the back burner. They were going to bring him up. They wanted to get him because they needed somebody to help poor Classe, and by that I mean he was just in too many pressure games. I've never heard of a guy leading the league in saves and also leading the league in blown saves. I think with the numbers were 44 and 12. Yes. So, so basically, you play, he's had 56, and in other words, he was in one-third of their games uh, with with the save on the line. And they know they they pushed him too much. In the last two years, he has played. He has appeared in more games than anybody else in baseball. And there's not any mop up or whatever. Then of course you get into they trying to find somebody else. Poor Trevor Steffen on the flip side, he got that contract extension instead of relaxing him. I mean, he just looks like a nervous wreck when it's in the eighth inning. I think his ERA is over five. They tried Elon Morgan. He was he was terrible in the in the late innings. You know, so they wanted to get you know Barlow. Had a strange year. He was bad in the first half of the year with Kansas City, ERA over five, and then he had an ERA of around three with San Diego. Um, they really look at him as a guy from 21 and 22, is say 40 games. His ERA is 2.3. He's closed before. He's only 30. His velocity is a little down, but they just wanted to kind of closer 1A and 1B just to help out. Uh, um, to help out Classe and also to help out uh, your rookie manager, Stephen Vogt, because nothing make, makes a manager look more stupid than a bad bullpen. Yeah, you know, I, was, I was thinking about James Karinchak over the last few days, Terry, with all this. Do you think he should be worried or like it's not that big of a deal because they're going to load up the bullpen and everybody will find a role? Like, how, how should he feel? He should be worried. Uh, I don't know what he is. Um, 
Well, Francona just couldn't stand him anymore at the end. He just, just did, you know, because Karinczak, he won't hold runners on. He just seems to be on his own planet. Uh, maybe a fresh start with vote would help. Um, and so, you know, I don't know what his role is. I mean, the bullpen's wide open. He can win the job. He's got the stuff to do it. Or else they may be able to trade him because somebody else is going to look at the fact that, I mean, he throws 95 miles an hour. He's got that uh, up and down curve. Uh, maybe he'll hold a runner on once in a while, and maybe he will. I forgot. I had the numbers. It's something like only five of 34 stealing base runners in his career or something have been caught stealing, some awful thing like that. And so, which is a big deal in the late innings. Because if you walk a guy, which he does, and then he steals second, it's like he hit a double. It's not like you're a starting pitcher there. Because usually if he's coming in, it's a fairly tight game. And so now you already put the guy on second base. That's what would drive uh, Francona nuts. It's like you didn't even make a token effort to look over there. Oh, we've talked about this, Terry. The Guardians want guys who are going to try and get better at their craft. And if they don't see you working at stuff like that, like that does not sit well. So that's going to have to be an area of improvement for him going into 2024. I am very glad on the coaching staff thing that they kept. uh, They convinced Carl Willis to stay. Uh, That's important. Uh, that they added uh, uh, Ruglis Ogar, who I, I've heard nothing but great things about. He's been the farm the farm system forever as a manager. Um, and then all the, you know they kept the hitting coaches. Uh, I do think last year they just had a hard <laughs> the hitters just had a hard time period. I don't regardless of who the coach was. So I want to I just want to see how all that goes. Uh, the rotation you and I talked about right before is right now is Bieber, Bybee, Allen. Um, Gavin Williams and McKenzie with a big question mark. He started pitching two games last year. Then you get into Xavier Curry and Hunter Gaddis, and I'm sure I'm forgetting one or two others. That's a really, really young rotation. Um, that kind of brings me to my next question, Terry, with the winter meetings. And we've we got a minute to spend on this, but mm-hmm. do you bring Shane Bieber back for sure and not move him this offseason because that rotation is so young? Or do you move him to try to fill that outfield production hole? If I can make a really good trade, I'm going to make it um, where it's a guy in outfield or something else that, that can for a few years. Cause you know, Beaver's gone. It's just a question of when end of the season or mid season, probably mid season. Cause I don't think they want that asset. They're kicking themselves right now for not trading him earlier last year because they knew they knew his velocity was down and they knew he was struggling and they were trying to kind of really they were trying to drag out a bigger deal out of Tampa Bay. Uh, remember they traded Savali there for um, Kyle Man- Manzardo and it was supposed to be a big deal. Bieber going there for Manzardo and some other guys and uh, that was going to be their big swing, but Bieber got hurt. So then they went to Savali, and of course Savali went there. He did finish the season pitching, but his ERA was over five. You know, I never trusted him. He's been not personal, but he's been a disabled list five times since 2021. And I think they're worried. I mean, one of the reasons you may trade Bieber is this: okay, he pitched, he missed almost three months this past year. 22, he pitched 200 innings, but 21, he missed almost three months. Yeah, it's hard to move that when you don't have – and he did come back at the end of last season, but, like, that's well, not that's not something teams but, are looking but, for. It's a guy who's missed that much the, time. But the way they throw around money as starters, somebody may say, well, we'll gamble on it. 
Yeah. So you yeah. may be able to get – that's my point – get something good for him, even with that hanging over him. Because, one, you know, Beaver is a good guy. He's going to work hard. He's about the right stuff. Even though his velocity has dropped, he still finds a way to win games. Uh, I'm a big Beaver fan, by the way, as a person, as a pitcher. This is nothing on that. But, you know, the, the Guardians live in, in a different world uh, in terms of how they do business. And, uh, and and some of these guys, these outfielders, Terry, they might be looking at, like, um, Anthony Santander from the Orioles, yeah. like uh, Alex Verdugo. For, I, I think from the Red Sox, that both those guys have won, just – they're going to be hitting free agency after next year. And that's not something the Guardians do. They want to, they would want to bring somebody back who's got some years of control. I think I've seen Lane Thomas from the Nationals as a possibility because mm-hmm. I think he's got some a couple of arbitration years left before free agency. So anyway, we'll see. It's going to be a long off season. I'm sure the Guardians are mapping all this out now that they have their coaches in house. So all right, uh, let's see, Terry. I wanted to get we. Uh, I mentioned a couple months ago for a hundredth episode, you invited listeners to send in their stories about where they live and why they're Cleveland fans. So we got a few of those we can run through. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. This first one, hey, Terry and David, I wanted to tell you a story for your 100th podcast. I currently live in Columbus, but grew up in Cleveland Heights. I'm a long, I'm a lifelong Cleveland sports fan. The Browns are not my favorite team, but are the team that I'm the most passionate about. That probably makes no sense unless you live in Northeast Ohio. Then it makes perfect sense. My earliest sports memory is what made me a lifelong fan. As you know, back in the early 1970s, most NFL players did not make enough money to sustain themselves year-round, so they had jobs in the offseason. Bo Scott, the Browns starting <laughs> running back, worked for my father's friend in wow. the offseason selling insurance. As I'm sure you recall, Art Modell used to have preseason doubleheaders at the old municipal stadium. I went to one in 1971, give or take a year. I was eight years old, and it was my first live sports event with my father and his friends. The Steelers played the Jets, followed by the Browns playing the Giants. Is this true, Terry? My head doubleheaders. Yes, they did. Crazy. All right. And he I says, remember as I going recall, to one, and they had fireworks in between or something. I forgot what it was. It was – they played like six exhibition games then too. And yeah. the starters would play like the first half or more. Oh, it's crazy. And he yeah. goes on to say, as I recall, it started around 6 o'clock and went late into the night. Yeah, there we he, go. Because Bo Scott worked for my father's friend, we were invited to go down to the team hotel, the old Bond Court Hotel, oh, yeah. and hang out with the players this, that afternoon. I remember sitting on Bo's hotel bed with his roommate Mike Howell watching the Indians game on TV, completely in awe of these huge men. I can't tell you who won the games. There's a good chance I was asleep in my father's lap half the time. How can you not be a lifelong fan after a first experience like that? And that's from Alan Gilbert in Columbus. So yeah. thanks for that, Alan. <laughs> It's wild that players, even in the seventies, had to have jobs in the oh, offseason. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, they they really did. I mean, Rich Rounds, who's a friend of our our family from Parma, played at Kent State, played primarily with the Twins, a little bit with the Indians at the end. He was he had several different jobs, and he was setting himself up. He later went to work for Gordon Gund and the Cavaliers on the business side, like the arena and and all that. But he knew he had to do that. Uh, so that's that was common. The, the when I wrote Brownstown, nineteen sixty four, all those guys talked about the different jobs they had in the off season, and Paul 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 Brown and Blanton Cotter after him helped set them up with jobs, drilled into them. You better get a job. This is going to go away quick. Uh, and of course, then they would tell them, well, you know, we don't need to pay you that much. Like Gene Hickerson, you're doing a great job selling auto parts on the side. 
Man, oh, man. All right. Well, thanks for that letter. That was a good one. And that, again, is from Alan Gilbert in Columbus. Our next one is from Jason Kohler. We got two from, more, two from Florida here, Terry. They're okay. pretty short, so we'll run through them fast. Uh, Jason says, this long-suffering Cleveland fan took his talents to South Florida nearly 20 years ago after growing up in northern Ohio. When my boys were born, I made them promise not to make the same mistakes with them that my dad, an Illyria Catholic grad, made with me. I failed. Like me, they cheer for the guards, Cavs, and our beloved Brownies. <laughs> All the disappointment and disaster make the great moments that much sweeter. Thanks for keeping me informed, a loyal reader, subscriber, and listener in the Florida Keys. And that's from Jason Kohler. He says he is from the Keys Weekly Newspaper. So thanks wow, for that, Jason. Cool. Right. And this one is from Tim in Pensacola. He says, hey, Terry and Dave, obviously I'm a huge fan. Originally from the West Side, St. Ignatius grad. I was a senior on Coach Chico Kyle's first season as head coach. Graduated from the wow. Naval Academy. Ultimately landed in Pensacola, Florida because of the Navy. And have been here ever since. Raised my kids as tortured Browns Guardians fans. At least they enjoyed <laughs> the 2016 Cavs season. I've listened to every episode and was hoping Terry could incorporate a book signing with a vacation to Pensacola Beach someday. <laughs> he I says, congratulations like... and thanks for the podcast every week. So that's from I'd Tim like to in go Pensacola. To the that would be great. Um, yeah, hope to get you down boy, there. Is the water clear down that whole area? So that's a good thing. Well, there you are. I'm sure everybody could take a collection and send Roberta and I to Pensacola. And we could have it. We could hold it in. I started to say a phone booth, but they don't exist anymore. Uh, you know, a real small area, and I can sign three books and then go on vacation. So that's right. That's probably all. Right, all thanks for those all letters. Withdraw. If you have um, comments, questions, or uh, vacation ideas for Terry, you can send them <laughs> to sports at cleveland.com. And we're going through these letters. We still have probably a couple dozen more to get through, Terry, but we they're all enjoyable, and we thank everybody for sending those in. And we'll keep rolling through them in the order we got them in. So. I think we're done, right? This will do it. All right. Terry and I are going to go talk to our travel agents and enjoy the sports week. We'll catch you next time on Terry's Talking. <laughs>